it seems like we're going into a second lockdown. And in light of that, I think it's very important that we look into what is known as the Spanish flu. Welcome to the Evan Weiss Show, broadcasting from the West Coast, raw, in-depth, and relentlessly hacking the mainframe. Here's Evan Weiss. Before we go to support this show, please go to evanweiss.com forward slash NordVPN. This is a piece of software that I use to protect my private information from thieves and internet criminals. Okay, so this really great, interesting article is from history.com, and uh, it's called 1918 Flu Pandemic. So here we go. What caused the Spanish flu? It's unknown exactly where the particular strain of the influenza that caused the Spanish flu came from. However, the 1918 flu was first observed in Europe before spreading to almost every other part of the planet within a matter of months. Despite the fact that the 1918 flu wasn't isolated to one place, it became known around the world as the Spanish flu. As Spain was hit hard by the disease and was not subject to the wartime news blackouts that affected other European countries. One unusual aspect of the 1918 flu was that it struck down many previously healthy young people. A group normally resistant to this type of infectious illness, including a number of World War I servicemen. It's very, very different from COVID-19, which seems to affect older people. And in the case of the Spanish flu, it particularly was deadly to people that were considered to be young and healthy. In fact, more U.S. soldiers died from the 1918 flu than were killed in battle during war. Wow, that's an interesting fact. 40% of U.S. Navy, of the U.S. Navy was hit with the flu. 40%. While 36% of the Army became ill, and troops moving around the world in crowded ships and trains helped to spread the killer virus. Hmm. That's what probably was responsible for the spread of the disease. And if you think of it now, with air travel, it's no wonder the COVID-19 um, virus has spread so wickedly across the planet. Although the death toll attributed to the Spanish flu is often estimated at 20 million to 50 million victims worldwide. Other estimates run as high as 100 million victims, around 3% of the world's population. The exact numbers are impossible to know due to the lack of the medical record keeping in many places, especially around that time. So why do you guys think the Spanish flu was called the Spanish flu? I'll tell you why. The Spanish flu did not originate in Spain, though news coverage of it did. During World War I, Spain was a neutral country with a free media that covered the outbreak from the start. First reporting on it in Madrid in late May of 1918. Meanwhile, allied countries and the central powers had wartime censors who covered up news of the flu to keep morale high. Because Spanish news sources were the only ones reporting on the flu, many believed it originated there. The Spanish, meanwhile, believed 
that the virus came from France and called it the French flu. Scientists still do not know for sure where the Spanish flu originated, though theories point to France, China, Britain, or the United States, where the first known case was actually reported at Camp Funston in Fort Riley, Kansas. Some believe infected soldiers spread the disease to other military camps across the country, then brought it overseas. In March 1918, 84,000 American soldiers headed across the Atlantic and were followed by 118,000 more the following month. Wow. Talk about a super spreader event. Here's another thing. Did you know that aspirin poisoning was very rampant back then because doctors didn't know what to do? Doctors had no idea how to treat this thing. And they started prescribing people tons and tons of aspirin. With no cure for the flu, many doctors prescribed medications that they felt would alleviate symptoms, including aspirin, which had been trademarked by Bayer in 1899, a patent that expired in 1917, meaning new companies were able to produce a drug during the Spanish flu epidemic. Before the spike in deaths attributed to the Spanish flu in 1918, the United States Surgeon General, Navy, and the Journal of American Medical Association had all recommended the use of aspirin. Medical professionals advised patients to take up to 30 grams per day. Can you imagine what that will do to your stomach? If you guys don't know aspirin, if you take it long enough, and or ibuprofen starts to uh, break down the, the lining of your stomach. Anyway, a dose now known to be toxic. Symptoms of aspirin poisoning include hyperventilation and the buildup of fluid in the lungs. And it's now believed that many of the October deaths were actually caused or hastened by aspirin poisoning. I mean, if what happened back then doesn't have parallels to what's going on now with the COVID-19 situation, then I don't know what what does have parallels because um, we kind of had the same thing where the medical community didn't know what to do with it and were intubating people and were, you know, they were talking about these other, other kind of treatments. And uh, at the end, I think that kind of stuff really did more harm than good. Now, one striking parallel other than this parallel where, you know, doctors in the medical community didn't know what to do and they were just throwing things at it. And one of the things was aspirin. And at, in the beginning, it ended up killing more people than helping. Certain politicians lately have been saying the cure can't be worse than the disease, but it's really true. It's true. It really can't. But obviously you can't fault the, uh, the medical community back then because they, they didn't know. They were just, like I said, throwing everything at it trying to, to help and alleviate symptoms. Now, that happened here, and there was a parallel. Now, now, there's another parallel that hasn't happened yet, which I suspect is going to happen, which is in the beginning of the Spanish flu, which started in, in spring, that by the fall and winter of that year, the Spanish flu mutated and got extremely, extremely worse and more severe 
for um, for victims of the Spanish flu. Now, according to the new models, it seems to be following the Spanish flu trajectory of coming into the spring and then mutating and getting incredibly worse by the fall and winter. It seems to be like that's the path it's taking. And uh, if history is our, our teacher, you should definitely take precautions and, uh, and prepare for that situation. I hope it's not the situation. Um, I know death counts have gone way down than before, but again, you know, similar to the Spanish flu, by fall and winter, it got really bad. They're locking everything down in, in Paris and in other big cities in Europe. And I think the United States is following through, it seems like now, with the same kind of um, strategy to combat the, the second wave, which, which will probably be, be worse. Now, it might not be, but again, if history is our teacher, it might be. So, and I know there's, there's some of you who believe it's not real or it's, it's just another flu. And it really is, I mean, COVID is another flu, like the Spanish flu. It's a flu. It's, it's, a, it's something that affects the lungs. You know, I get hundreds of emails from you guys, my listeners, asking me, is COVID-19 real or is it overblown? And no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, a lot of you guys and a lot of people in general feel like uh, they, they haven't been told the complete truth from people that we trust to give us the right information to protect ourselves and our families and friends and everybody. So I understand why there's that skepticism because certain medical professionals in the beginning said, do this, no, do that. And you have to remember, they're people. As we saw with the Spanish flu, the medical community back then also made mistakes in the beginning because they are people. Just because they wear a lab coat, it doesn't mean that they've been exalted into a deity. They're people. They make mistakes. So I understand why uh, some of you guys are skeptical. Like, well, you know, is it true? Is it not true? I mean, another thing I want to talk about uh, for the Spanish flu in particular is the toll it took on society. Um, if, you, if you think what's going on now is taking a toll on society, listen to this. The flu took a heavy human toll, wiping out entire families and leaving countless widows and orphans in its wake. Funeral parlors were overwhelmed and bodies piled up. Many people had to dig graves for their own family members. The flu was so detrimental to the economy. In the United States, businesses were forced to shut down because so many employees were sick. Basic services such as mail delivery and garbage collection were hindered due to flu-stricken workers. In some places, there weren't enough farm workers to harvest crops. Even state and local health departments closed for business, hampering efforts to chronicle the spread of the 1918 flu and provide the public with answers about it. Wow, so even, even the medical centers of the time were shut down. So finally, the Spanish flu ends by the summer of 1919. 
The flu pandemic came to an end as those that were infected either died or developed immunity. Get this, almost 90 years later, in 2008, researchers announced they discovered what made the 1918 flu so deadly. A group of three genes enabled the virus to weaken a victim's bronchial tubes and lungs and clear the way for bacterial pneumonia. So people, it seems like, according to this evidence, were genetically predisposed in a way to develop the more severe, deadly version of the Spanish flu. Some could say that's the situation now. Who knows? We might find out that there's an actual gene that's doing the same thing to people now. Since 1918, there have been several other influenza pandemics, although not as deadly. A flu pandemic from 1957 to 1958 killed around 2 million people worldwide, including 70,000 people in the United States. And a pandemic from 1968 to 1969 killed approximately 1 million people, including 34,000 Americans. I mean, right now we're apparently up to 200,000 plus. Well, so that's worse than these two. Not as bad as the Spanish flu, but worse than these two. It seems like these pandemics only last for one year. Hopefully, that's the case with this pandemic. More than 12,000 Americans perished during the H1N1 swine flu that occurred from 2009 to 2010. The novel coronavirus pandemic of 2020 is spreading around the world as countries race to find a cure for COVID-19. And citizens shelter in place in an attempt to avoid spreading the disease, which is particularly deadly because many carriers are asymptomatic for days before realizing that they are infected. One thing I wonder, though, if you're genetically predisposed to have a vulnerability to these pandemics, like the researchers found out in 2008 about the Spanish flu, then is staying in your house and wearing masks going to help? Each of these modern-day pandemics brings renewed interest in the attention to the Spanish flu, or what was called the Forgotten Pandemic. It was named that because its spread was overshadowed by the deadliness of World War I and covered up by news blackouts and poor record-keeping. I hope this look back to the Spanish flu and how it was treated and how people went about trying to combat it gives you some sort of context into what's going on today with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's something that happens every every couple of hundreds of years or every hundred years or every 20 years. But it seems to only last for one year. And it seems to come in in spring in a kind of mild kind of way, but a little bit more deadly than just your average uh, annual flu. And then by fall and by winter, it kind of mutates and it gets even worse. And there appears to be a genetic component that makes certain people more susceptible 
to uh, developing more of the uh, deadly and uh, worrisome symptoms. Thank you for listening to The Evan Weiss Show. Head over to iTunes to listen to previous shows. Questions? Email us at e at evanweiss.com.